Well, good evening, Evie and Knight. Uh, it's good to be together in this way on the stream here. Uh, my lockdown hobby, uh, I've started learning how to cook good food on an open fire in the backyard and then having impromptu dance parties with the kids uh, to whatever music is playing. So boys next door, sorry about that. But next Friday night, feel free to laugh at us over the fence. But that's what I've been up to in lockdown. I hope you've been having an all right time. Uh, but Ruth has been good, hasn't it? Let's, let's have a look there now together. Um, now relationships. Uh, relationships are pretty confusing, aren't they? They can be really quite tricky. Uh, take friendships, for example. Uh, when, we, when you're little in primary school, friendships are pretty simple. Turn up to kindy on the first day. You like climbing trees. That kid over there is in a tree. You can be like, hey, you, you want to be friends? And then you've got a best friend for the rest of school. That's easy when you're little. But now that we're adulting, it's not that simple, is it? Uh, existing friendships can be pretty complicated at times. Making new friendships can actually be hard. Uh, and, and that's just friendship. Uh, relationships are tricky. Don't even get me started about dating. It's a hot nightmare. It's so complicated. There's all these rules you're supposed to know and you've got to follow and if you don't, you're going to crash and burn. That, that person, they catch your eye and you're like, yeah, they're pretty good and you're pretty interested. So you do what any normal person would do. You look them up on socials and so you get your phone out and you find them and you're like, well, that's a nice photo. That's a nice photo too and you hit and like and then suddenly you're in 2017 and you're still going, that's a pretty nice photo. I like that one. I like that one. Well, that's a nice one. I like that. But of course, if you do that, you're going to come across like a lunatic. You're going to crash and burn. If you, do, you can't do that kind of thing. You're going to seem like a stalker. There's a, there's a whole series of unwritten rules about dating that you have to know or it's going to go bad. And maybe those unwritten rules are written down somewhere on a BuzzFeed list, somewhere written by some 14-year-old. But you've got to know the rules. It's complicated. It's tricky. But maybe one day you get married and then you're like, ah... Now it's going to be simple. Now it's going to be easy. This is going to be so straightforward, right? Wrong, wrong. You know, my wife comes home. She's had a really hard day. There's all these problems that she's telling me about. And I'm like, well, I like you and I don't like that you have problems. So maybe I should just give you a whole bunch of suggestions about how to solve your problems. And that's going to go really good. No, wrong. It'll go terribly. It's never simple. Relationships are complicated. It's, it's a tricky thing, but at least you can trust God's Word. At least as you come to the Bible tonight, you can trust it to be clear and guide us with these sort of things. And then you open up Ruth chapter 3, which has a lot to say about relationships, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What, what do we do with this? Is it possible that a book so ancient, as far removed from our context as it is, as far removed from us culturally as it is, how could it possibly help us navigate the crazy world of relationships today? Can it? Now, the answer, of course, is yes. Absolutely, there's, there's good stuff to be seen here in God's Word that will help us with this, with relationships, but so much more than that as well. It's a bit of a wild passage. Mel, I think, mentioned in that video that she's had a laugh in growth group this week because it's a crazy passage, but it's a wonderful passage, full of gold. And so let's pray. We'll have a look at Ruth chapter 3 together. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we pray, please, tonight that you would bless us through your word. Uh, at times it can seem a long way removed from our context and where we're at right now, but we pray, Lord, that tonight you'd speak to us. 
Please shape us and change us. Help us to know you better and form us into the likeness of Christ. Amen. Well, as you jump into chapter 3 here, uh, we we jump in with Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And there's a problem. Verse 1, Naomi thinks that Ruth needs to remarry so that she can be provided for. Now, you can see that verse 1. Have a look there. It says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must... you." I must find a home for you where you'll be provided for. Now, this isn't saying that all women everywhere need a man to provide for them, otherwise they're going to be in trouble. Chapter 2, just last week, we saw Ruth providing for herself and for Naomi as well. She's capable, she's strong, she's hardworking. But in this cultural context, they're still really vulnerable as they are, two widows living alone. But Naomi has a plan. (laughs) And I, I guess I want to call this first section Naomi's sketchy plan because it is a bit of a wild plan. Have a look at there, the first five verses, one to five, uh, you can see the first part of the plan in verse two. Naomi says, now Boaz with those women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. So step one, get dressed up real nice, smell good. Step two, ninja skills, you've got to sneak down there, don't let him see you to begin with. And then step three, mind the gap because this one's a doozy. Have a look at step three, verse four. When he lies down to go to sleep, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. And Ruth says, I'll do whatever you say. Now, what is that? What is this plan? If nothing else, it's bizarre, isn't it? And perhaps even a bit sketchy. We'll come to that. Sneak up on him while he's asleep, pull back the covers, lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Seriously, what is up with this plan? At very least, this is a risky plan. Think of all the possible ways this plan could have gone wrong. Sneak up on this guy in the middle of the night, slip under the blankets near him. It it could have become sexual quite fast. Worse, it could have ended in a sexual assault or some other unwanted sexual advances. It maybe could have ended in rejection. What if Boaz wakes up, finds this woman in his bed and he's outraged? What are you doing sneaking in here? I don't want anything to do with you. Get out and don't even think about coming back to my fields, which you've been getting food from. If things went really badly, Ruth's reputation could have been um, ruined. She could have been labelled as manipulative and um, promiscuous. And so at the very least, this is a risky plan. Now, what's Naomi thinking with this plan? What's she up to? Well, the worst read of it is that Naomi is plotting to entrap Boaz into a marriage with Ruth. That's possible. Uncover his feet and then once you're down there, He'll tell you what to do next. Now, now that they have sex is the possibility and then he'll be trapped and need to marry her is, is one possible thing that's going on here. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 16 commands a man to marry a woman if he has sex with her outside of marriage. That's an Old Testament command. It's a law that was put there for the protection of women so that men couldn't sleep with whoever they want without consequences. It was meant to dissuade men from having sex with whoever they wanted. It's not a law that we're compelled to follow as Christians today, but it was then. That could be what Naomi is plotting. 
Now, as a very quick aside, guys and girls, if you've fallen into sin in this way, if you've had sex with someone that you're not married to, there's no biblical command that says that you, as a Christian today, must now marry because you've had sex. Having sex doesn't make you married, getting married makes you married. And so wisdom in your circumstance might be, if you decide to, to get married, perhaps, but wisdom in your circumstance may also mean breaking up or getting away from that situation or that person, especially if there's someone who's been taking advantage of you. Anyway, here in Ruth, is Naomi plotting to trick Boaz into marrying Ruth? Well, maybe, she, she could be, but if that is the case, hang on a sec, isn't Naomi meant to be kind of the good person in this story, the one that we're kind of backing and hoping she gets looked after, the one that we're going to see God bless by the end of the book in chapter 4? Well, here's the lesson. Don't blindly follow even the heroes of the Old Testament for your sexual ethics. If you do that, you're going to have a really bad time. Abraham, he's one of the great people of the Old Testament. He got scared by a bunch of people in a foreign land. He was worried he was going to get attacked. And so he offers his wife, Sarah, to these men to protect himself. And he doesn't do it just once. He does that twice. That's awful. It's terrible. Samson and Delilah, the shocker of a story. Don't trust women who bring hair clippers to bed. King David, he's a man after God's own heart. And then next minute, he does terrible things to Bathsheba and her husband. Solomon and his many wives and concubines, it's terrible. So this passage, whatever it's doing, it isn't telling us that the, the way to land a marriage is to start sneaking into people's houses and uncovering people's feet and then kind of going, now what do we do? What do we get up to? No, it's not that. But one read of it is possibly that Naomi just has a really bad plan. That could be what's going on. The other option though is that Naomi knows Boaz, and she knows Ruth, she knows their character, and she knows that they'll honour God. Which is exactly what happens in the story, isn't it? Ruth runs with the plan, at least to begin with, but it ends up in a marriage proposal, not a rejection, not a one-night stand or something worse. Now, if we assume the, the best of, of Naomi's motives, why does it end up working so well? How does it work out the way it does? Well, the reason is because of Ruth and Boaz's character. See, first of all, Ruth, look at how Boaz describes her down in verse 11 there. It says, he calls her a woman of noble character. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, she's a woman who's entrusted herself to the Lord under the wings of the Lord. And then there's Boaz. A big feature of who he is right through this story is that he's a man of kindness and honour and loyalty, he's a good man, his character is on display all the way through chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so here's the point, here's the principle, a noble character creates relationships of trust and that's a really, really good thing. Now friends, that's a good thing in romantic relationships and we might touch on that more later, but that's actually a good thing in all relationships everywhere. And so, brothers and sisters, pursue a noble character. Seek to see your character grow under God. Work at it. Pray for it. Desire it. Know Jesus more in His Word and so be transformed to be like Him. 
sharpen one another as you go walking as you open your bibles in growth group encourage one another to this goal grow in depth and godliness in your character if you do that it'll be a blessing to you and and the people around you it'll make you a better brother or sister or mother or father or friend or husband or co-worker or pet owner or whatever it is you get up to maybe not pet owner but wherever you are relating to people in life it'll be a blessing to those people a person of character is someone you can trust and so value that in others value that and in return be that sort of person for them it's beautiful it's good for you and it's good for them and here's the biggest thing it honors our great god Okay, so there's Naomi's sketchy plan, but where does it lead? Well, verses 6 to 9, it leads to Ruth's bold proposal. Verses 6 to 8, Ruth, she she sticks to the script perfectly. Verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So step one, don't let him see you. Wait for dinner to happen, check. Uh, Step two, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Sneaky, sneaky. Good work, Ruth. Check. And then verse eight, in the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and there was a woman laying at his feet, lying at his feet. It seems like uncovering his feet has woken him up and it's done the job and he, he wakes up and he's really surprised. The NIV translation gives us an exclamation point there. There's a woman at his feet. Where's this come from? I love the ESV translation. It says, behold, there's a woman at his feet. And so the natural response, verse 9, he says, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. So Ruth, good work. So far, excellent job at sticking to the plan. Naomi's going to be really proud of how you've done so far. And then she just goes way off script, doesn't she? What was Naomi's plan? He'll tell you what to do next. Just get there and he'll tell you what to do. But did you see what Ruth does? Verse 9, she says, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, it's going to take a bit to work out what that means, but the context makes clear as you read on. She's asking Boaz to marry her. She's popping the question. That's what's going on here. Can we get married is what she's saying. That's a pretty catchy way to say it, isn't it? Maybe if, um, if one of you guys gets uh, engaged in the next bump, bunch of weeks, maybe you could get down on one knee and kind of go, would you spread the corner of your garment over me? And you could do that. Um, yeah give it a go if someone does that props to you I'd love to see that go up on Facebook or something like that but it's a marriage proposal there it is now what does it mean like why does it why is it said that way well if you're looking in a different translation to the NIV you'll probably notice that the translations seem to go a bit haywire just here and it says different things the NIV translation and lots of translations say spread the corner of your garment over me the ESV and the Holman they say spread your wings over me Uh, take me under your wing and so what does it mean well it's one Hebrew phrase that we've got in the Bible which has been translated in two different ways because those phrases are really close together in Hebrew Uh, but rather than being stressed out about the diversity of the translations I reckon it's actually really helpful because what it does is it helps us to get the breadth and the depth of what is actually been saying here this is a loaded sentence from Ruth 
I think there's a double meaning that you're meant to get. Now, one side of that double meaning, I think, comes from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Uh, it shows us what this means. Uh, this is the same phrase used again in Ezekiel 16. This is a passage full of a whole bunch of imagery where God is pictured as a husband to a bride, an undeserving bride, and it's his people, but the imagery of is a man and a woman. Ezekiel 16 verse 8 says, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, here's the phrase, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. It's a picture of protection and care. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So there's that phrase being used to talk about marriage, essentially. It's the Lord spreading his garment over his people. It's an image of provision and care and covering. That's what God has done for his people. It's not meant to sound sus or weird. It's a beautiful picture here. And you can see how that kind of sounds similar to spread your wings over me, doesn't it? care for me, provide for me, love me. And, and actually, this phrase that appears here in chapter 3, verse 9, back in Ruth, it's not the first time that phrase is used in the book. The same phrase is used over in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz speaking to Ruth. He says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, there it is, you have come to take refuge. And so Boaz sees Ruth as one who's placed herself under the, under the wings of the Lord Almighty, under his wings, and he uses the same word there in chapter 2, verse 12. And so when Ruth comes along here in chapter 3 and she says, spread your garment over me, spread your wings over me, she's saying, will you marry me? But it's a throwback as well. It's a throwback to this conversation that Boaz and Ruth have already had. She's saying, take me under your wings, Boaz. You say that I'm one who's come to the Lord for his protection under his wings. Would you, Boaz, be the one who God uses to care for me, to love me? Would you be God's blessing to me? Will you marry me? Now, let's just stop and think about how this whole section applies to us for a moment. Because here's one thing that I reckon is worth spotting from all that we've seen so far. God blesses the proactive the people who go and do something. Ruth and Naomi, they make some serious plans. Ruth gets up and she makes, takes some serious initiative and she does something. Now, she does it with integrity in a way that would please God, but she does something and it's bold, it's courageous. So obeying God doesn't mean, the holy thing doesn't mean just sitting on your hands and waiting because that's the spiritual thing to do. Ruth is someone who takes action when she needs something. Now, this is true in romantic stuff, sure, uh, and lots of people I talk to like it when the other person is someone who makes their intentions clear and has some initiative and is clear about what they're thinking. That's a good thing. Um, and so if you're a proactive person in the dating space, good on you, that's a good thing. You've got to be ready to hear no as well, and that's okay, but it's not proactive. I'm sorry, it's not sleazy to be proactive, but not just to do with dating and, and all this kind of stuff. This is true for all of life, all of life. So I need a job. Well, I pray and I trust God, but then I start applying for jobs until I find one. And if I need help, I'll ask someone for help. I'm struggling with my mental health. I, I feel out of control. I, I sometimes even feel worthless and helpless. Well, I'd, I'd pray, I trust in God, 
and I do something, I go and get some help. I go see a GP and talk to them and work out if I need to see a counsellor or a psychologist or some medication. And if that's too hard a step to take on my own, then I talk to a friend who can help me make that first step with them. I, I do something. Pray, trust God and do something. I'm new to the coast. I'm, I'm new to church here maybe. And I want to make friends. I want to belong here. We'll pray and trust God. That's right. But then do something. Join a sporting team, join a growth group here at church with us. Find ways to connect, do something about it. Now, this is particularly hard in lockdown, isn't it? All of us are more isolated than we've ever been. And so, if you are feeling lonely, uh, open up to people who you're in growth group with, if that's where you are. But if you're not in a growth group, can I encourage you, and you're feeling lonely, feeling lost, um, text us, text us on that number that Seif and Formo put up before and let us know you're there and we'd love to find out how we can care for you. But here's the principle, God blesses the proactive. Alright, now back here in our passage, uh, verse 9, Ruth has just chucked it all out there. She said, Boaz, will you marry me? And this is the big moment of tension, how's Boaz going to respond? Reject her, label her as promiscuous, will, will they fall into sin? How does it go down? We'll see from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, you see Boaz's righteous response. So verse 10 is beautiful. Look at how he responds. He says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people in my town know that you're a woman of noble character. It's beautiful. Now, some people in my growth group this week, they told me that I was just like a big softy romantic and there's no kind of connection or romance going on here. Um, but I, I reckon there is. Uh, they pointed out that in chapter four, there's a business transaction attached and there's purchase of land and all that, which is true. We'll hit that next week. But still, can you see the beauty of Boaz's response? Verse 10, he calls her daughter, which might sound weird, but it's respectful in that culture to call a younger woman daughter. He calls her kind because she hasn't run after other guys. She's chosen him, the older guy. He's honoured by her request. And he says, I'll do what you ask. Why? Because he thinks she's awesome. He likes her. He says, he says you're a woman of noble character. Ruth has shown herself to be loyal and strong and proactive as we've seen tonight. She cares for Naomi. She's the kind of woman that he wants to marry. And so there you go, story over. They lived happily ever after, the end. We wish, right? <laughs> but no, there's a massive plot twist because look at verse 12. He's gone, yes, I'd love to do that. Verse 12, although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. No, no, no! There's another guy. Who is this guy? How have we not heard of him until this point? Well, it's, it's clever storytelling. There's this other guy, and he's more closely related to Naomi and Ruth, which meant under the law in that time that he had the right to marry her instead of Boaz. Now, if that sounds a bit rough, that people who got to marry who was decided by who has 
family dibs through closeness. Sure, I get that sounds weird and strange, uh, but it's worth knowing, again, this is a law in the Old Testament given in this time and place to provide for widowed women and widowed families. Um, It wasn't a thing invented to oppress people and force people into marriages they didn't want. It was put there as a protection, as a care. In fact, um, if you, you can look at this later, but in Deuteronomy chapter 25, you'll see that If a woman felt that there was a man who should be marrying her and redeeming her family in this way, if the man wasn't doing his job, she could chase the guy down, bring him in front of the elders of the town and she would spit in his face and take his own shoe off and hit him with it and he'd get labelled the unsandaled one from then on. So this is a thing that a woman might even do because this is the thing they were chasing. This isn't to take advantage of people. It was a provision. Anyway, here in Ruth though... (laughs) It's a major plot twist. We were so close. It was all set. They were ready to be married happily ever after. And then along comes Johnny, closer relative. This guy just turns up. This is that frustrating moment in the romantic comedies where the ex-girlfriend turns up and she's back in town and she ruins everything. Or the guy does something dumb and the girl misunderstands and they have a fight. It's the breakup that lasts for like 30 minutes at the end of the movie with another 10 minutes at the end where he needs to race to the airport and you know babe i love you and they get together and it's all good what's gonna happen next well you you can imagine it would have been all too easy for these guys on this night to kind of do the dodgy do something a little bit dodgy we're here and now why not just sleep together or better what if boaz sweeps in and marries ruth before johnny closer relative has a chance what if what if he just does it Well, it's not what Boaz does. Instead, he honours God and he honours Ruth. Look at the plan, verse 13, he says, Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty, this other guy, your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Lie here until morning. He's been emphatic about it. As surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it, he says. I want this for us, but not in a way that will dishonour God. So verse 14, so she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Now he's not being dodgy there, he's not trying to cover his tracks, he's protecting Ruth's reputation. And not only that, you see his kindness, verse 15, he sends Ruth home with more food than she can carry, he has to chuck it on her back. And so Ruth comes home to Naomi and she tells Naomi what's happened and they've got this massive pile of food. And then our chapter ends in verse 18, then Naomi says, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man, that's Boaz, will not rest until the matter is settled today. It's crunch time. Boaz won't rest until this is sorted, until you're redeemed. And so there's our passage tonight. We're left on the edge waiting for one more week to finish off the story. You can always skip ahead and you know, watch the episode without me like my wife sometimes does on Netflix. You can read ahead if you want, but that's it for chapter 3. Now already we've seen at least two big things. Number one, a noble character creates beautiful relationships of trust. Number two, God blesses the proactive. But as we finish up, I want us to reflect on a whole bunch of other really important things that flow from this passage. There's, there's, there's gold to be found here. First of all, let's, let's talk about sex for a moment. Now, many of you have already fallen in this area. 
And if that is you, there's forgiveness. God's grace is mighty. Earlier, I rattled off a bunch of people from the Bible who failed in the context of sex. It's not trivial, actually. For, for the people I mentioned in the Old Testament, there's huge consequences, but their failure did not exclude them from the grace of God. See, ultimately, the Bible is the story of God's grace to the undeserving, to the guilty, to the fallen, to the ungodly. There's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that grace isn't a license to sin. It's actually the thing that drives us to holiness and a life that pleases God. See, grace reminds us that we are more loved than we could ever imagine by a God who is more worthy than we could ever imagine. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a price. That's Jesus' blood. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And that chapter's talking about sex. He's worthy of our whole lives, every corner and every part of it. You just imagine the temptation that Ruth and Boaz could have been feeling that night. Ruth has turned up in Boaz's bed. She's looking her best. She smells amazing. She's got a perfume on. And it says that Boaz has had some drinks. And there she is in his bed. And she wants to marry him. They're keen. Ruth is keen. Boaz is keen. They want to be married soon. And so, do we really have to wait? Is anyone ever going to know what happened here? Brothers and sisters, my guess is that many of you are in a place of huge temptation right now. Lockdown in 2021 has been another weird, messy year. And for many of us, normal Christian disciplines have just kind of stacked it and fallen on their face. You can't see your church family. Everything is just weird and you're stuck at home. You're perhaps lonely as well. But there's this exemption, isn't there? There's this exemption. You're allowed to see your boyfriend or girlfriend, the government says. And praise God that there's also a singles bubble thing now as well. But if, if you're someone who's in a relationship, you're not married but you're dating someone, it's possible that lockdown has intensified that relationship for you you can't see anyone else but you can see them and if and if you live alone you might feel like the only way you can even see them is legally the only way you could is behind closed doors in your house you could walk sure but you can only do so much walking and so how else are we going to hang out maybe you don't live alone but it's behind the closed doors of your room in your share house or in your parents house or something like that and if the temptation isn't just the amount of time you're spending together physically, perhaps it's the temptation that happens through the lens of a camera and a whole bunch of messages that you should never have sent to each other. It could just be the depressing grind of a lockdown that doesn't feel like it's going away and you're just not thinking right and you're not really remembering who you are in Christ. Whatever your situation is, my suspicion is that in this season... We need to be more careful than ever. So friends, if you've already fallen in a bunch of ways, just like this passage, the temptation presented in this passage, repent. Remember the mighty grace of our God and come back to Him 
and decide that something needs to change and be proactive. God blesses the proactive. Do something about it. Open up to some people that you can trust. Talk to someone. Reset your boundaries. Seek godly wisdom from other people. Make some hard decisions if you have to. Honour God. Follow the example of Ruth and Boaz. Friends, God's way is so much better and more beautiful and wonderful. Sex is a good gift from God, uh, but in its right place in marriage. It's a wonderful blessing. Secondly, I want us to pick up the prominence of character in the context of romantic relationships. So we've already said that a noble character creates beautiful relationships of trust in all relationships. Let's think about that specifically when it comes to dating and marriage for a moment. See, all throughout Ruth, Boaz is presented as a man whose character is wonderful. He's kind and hardworking and caring. He, he's, 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 he's incredible. From his first interactions with his workers in the field to the way he treats Naomi and his kindness to her and, and Ruth, uh, his self-control this night in chapter 3, his character is amazing. And the same is true of Ruth. Boaz is full of praise for her character. You're a woman of noble character. Now catch this, this isn't anti-physical attraction. It's not against being attracted to people physically. It's not, a, it's not pitting those two things against each other. Ruth comes to Boaz and she's looking good and smelling good and that's all fine. Um, but in the context where there's good reason for attraction, even in this chapter here, what does Boaz commend about Ruth? Her character. And so friends, don't belittle the goodness of the people in your life by only focusing on how they look. Sure, if he or she is beautiful, we'll tell them that. But tell them so much more than that. Appreciate so much more than just that. Are you considering whether you're going to date someone? Well, see the whole person. Are you physically attracted to them? Cool, good for you. But what about their character? Let their character, their godliness, be the thing that defines what you look for. It honours God, it honours the person by treating them as a whole individual, and it'll be good for you in the long run as well. Character leads to relationships that work, that are fulfilling and trustworthy and, and deep. Looks come and go very quickly, but character lasts a lifetime. It gets better with age. Now, if you are married, if you're in a relationship with someone, be generous with your compliments. If, they, if you think they're a hottie, tell them, good for you. But, but don't belittle them by only focusing on their appearance. It's such a small part of who we are. With the people that you love, affirm what really matters, character. Tell them what you love about who they are how they follow Jesus, how they help you to follow Jesus, how they love the needy, how, how they live their lives, the character of their lives. Affirm that in the people you love. Here's a third really important thing to catch in the book of Ruth. Romantic relationships are just one of many important relationships. So yeah, you've got Ruth and Boaz and, and their love story, but this book is every bit as much about Naomi and Ruth actually. Family and friendship is also front and centre on view. It's every bit as significant. 
Ruth is the vehicle of God's kindness to Naomi. And you need to catch this. This is really important to read the Bible in the whole context of what it says. In the Old Testament, the normal expected path for Ruth was that she would remarry. In that context, that's true. But in the New Testament, we see that actually God's provision for the widows and those who are alone is the people of God, not remarriage. And in, and in fact, Paul turns up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and he comes along and says, there's bigger things in life than marriage and sex and relationships. There's much bigger things going on. What matters is Jesus and serving him and his kingdom. And although many of you will choose to get married if you have the opportunity, and that's not a bad thing, that you've not sinned if you've done that, the better way, according to Paul, is actually to remain single as you serve Jesus. It's not the easiest path, but it is, according to Paul, the better way. So here's the point. Our culture is obsessed with sex and relationships and romance and the Christian version of that. We take this obsession in the world out there and we kind of, we bring it into our Christian world and what we do is we get on like this freeway toward marriage. As soon as you finish high school, you're like, I've got to find someone and date them real quick. I'm only 18, but I better get, I'm going to be alone forever. And you're 18 and, you, and you're dating someone, you're on this freeway toward getting married and then you finally get married and then you get married and you're, you're, you're married, you're having sex and all that kind of stuff. And then you're like, now I'm a real and complete person because I'm married. That's just a Christian version of the world's lie out there. Yeah, marriage is a good gift from God. But singleness isn't second rate. According to Paul, it's actually better. And so married or single, there are so many other wonderful, rich relationships that God has gifted all of his people with. Friends and family like Ruth and Naomi. The people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so praise God for his generosity to us all in all the relationships, in all their beauty and breadth and diversity that he's blessed us with. Finally, here's the last thing to see in this passage. What's on view is the ultimate relationship. That's what we're really meant to see. This is a passage about Christ and the church. See, Boaz, he's presented as the Redeemer, the Guardian Redeemer, whose character is amazing. I'm sure his character was amazing, but I'm also confident that he was deeply flawed. Jesus is the Redeemer whose character was perfect. Boaz is, is a picture, he's a shadow, like a, a poor image of the perfect Redeemer, Jesus. The one who fully deserves our trust, the one who will never let us down. Boaz is the Redeemer who would not rest until the matter was settled until Ruth was cared for and secured and redeemed. Jesus is the Redeemer who would not rest until his bride, the church, was redeemed. Redeemed from their slavery to sin. Redeemed from their guilt and their failures. Redeemed from the penalty of sin. Redeemed from an eternity without God, saved from all of that. He did that. He purchased us. He bought us at great price to himself by his own blood. And so our, our future is secure. Like Ruth is looking for a home in verse 1. We have a home, it's in heaven, we'll be with our God because of our great Redeemer. Let's pray. Father God, we really do find ourselves in a complex 
world in a complex time of our lives right now in the middle of um, lockdown and the, the middle of a, a web of complex relationships and father we know that your word to us is good and it, and it leads us in good ways and so we pray lord that you would help us to be people of deep character Help us to care about that, to value that in others and ourselves, to, to seek after it, to drink deeply of your word, to know you better, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And Father, give us wisdom in all of our relationships, friends, family, dating and all the rest. We pray that we'd be people who are wise and honour you. And Father, thank you so much that when we fail, there is grace upon grace. Help us to cling to that. Help us to remember the cross of Christ and our wonderful Redeemer. Amen.